Hello, and welcome to the Antioch Fort Worth weekly podcast. At Antioch, our desire is to cultivate a passion for Jesus and His purposes on the earth. To connect with us in community, partner with us through giving, or visit on a Sunday morning, please visit AntiochFortWorth.com. What's funny is, is that some people who don't know who I am are like, who is this um, guy with dreads that just stepped up? Um, my name's Isaiah. Uh, I'm super honored. I'm very thankful for Micah, Graydon, Jamie, the church elders. I'm going to be the youth pastor uh, coming up in August. Uh, super excited to just continue to bless and encourage and equip the youth. Uh, I want to say a special shout out to my wife, Lauren, um, who's been such a constant support in these past five years of us being here at Antioch. So it's been, it's been a journey, um, and I'm, I'm believing this Sunday is just another walk on the journey. And I'm so happy that they, they invited this Holy Ghost black caffeinated preacher to come preach on Pentecost. Because let me tell you, I don't know if I'm going to get through everything I wrote down, but the, the Holy Spirit is going to fall in this place. And it's going to be, it's going to be great. So um, let me get back to the notes. So we've been talking about signs and signposts into the heart of God in the book of John. And Jamie has, has graciously given space here in the summer for people to come and share their testimony as it relates to John, as it relates to just different things that are happening in, in our lives. And this lineup is stacked. It is a stacked lineup of people over the next few weeks who's gonna be sharing with us. And I am either the opening act or the lead batter. I don't know which one you wanna pick, um, but I am definitely excited to preach this Morning. So before I get to, into the speaker, into the scriptures, I want to pray for us and the summer speakers. So Lord, thank you so much for today. Lord, today, we've taken communion, we've baptized, we've gathered together. We are being an Acts 2 church right here, right now. And so Lord, we pray on this day, Pentecost Sunday, that you fall on this place in fresh ways that have never been seen before in our lives. And so, Lord, I want to pray that this, this day is not just a day, but it catapults the next few weeks where the summer speakers are going to be speaking, Lord. I pray over them specifically, Lord. I pray that they are led by your spirit, that they hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so today uh, I'm going to talk about a, a disciple who is in John's gospel. Uh, he's a very famous uh, disciple. Uh, he goes by Simon. He goes by Cephas. What's his name? Peter. There you go. Uh, I'm a youth pastor, so y'all don't have to talk to me because when youth are quiet, I start calling people out by name, and I know some of y'all. Um, so, uh, yes, Peter, he was a disciple that stood up in front of thousands 2,000 years ago on this day and on the day of Pentecost and preached. But I feel like that that's the end of the story, and I want to talk about a different part of Peter's story. So we're going to go to John 21, and if you don't know anything about Peter, his life is extremely dramatic, kind of extra. And um, my life sometimes can be a little bit extra, and I see myself in Peter a little bit. Uh, first off, Peter has a bunch of different names. I have a bunch of different names around here. Uh, Boyd Beckpo, I don't know if y'all know who that is. Um, <laughs> Uh, when you go pick up your kid from kids camp, ask them about Nebunez. That's going to be a new person. Um, 
But the most, uh, the name that, gets, that I get called that I love the most is Dada right now. And so um, I connect with him a lot right there. The second thing I connect with Peter is he's been eloquently, eloquently described as the disciple with the foot in his mouth. Um, and that has been me so many times, especially when I'm standing up here. I'm never trying to make fun of people's age. Like, that's never what I'm trying to do. But that just seems to happen every time I grab a microphone. Um, I, I've, I've, I've had that happen. Uh, Peter also lost a very important foot race. Uh, John just needed to make sure that we all knew that. Um, I don't remember the last time I won a foot race. So I definitely uh, agree. <laughs> I definitely see uh, myself and Peter there. But Peter is also a man of unmet expectations. He's a man of unmet expectations. He's been walking with the Lord, and he thought that this Messiah was going to bring the kingdom to earth in a certain way, but it didn't happen in a certain way. He lost his Messiah. He had just died. And Peter thought that he would be way more faithful to the man, but he found himself sitting around a fire denying Jesus three times. So he has been faced with a lot of unmet expectations, and I have been faced with a lot of unmet expectations. About five years ago, I joined this family, Antioch Fort Worth. Um, and as a, as a Bible college preacher kid, I didn't necessarily think I was going to find myself serving tables instead of being working in church. I've been serving tables for about five years. I'm a cook even still to this day, praise the Lord for August. Um, but I'm super, I'm super, I, I know how Peter feels when he has unmet expectations. Because five years ago, we didn't just uh, start serving tables. We left our family, our community. The only thing we knew, the only home that we knew, we left to follow after God. So what do you do? when God's call leads you to a wilderness. And I don't want to assume that the people sitting in these chairs aren't in a wilderness season right here, right now. But you are at a great place to be in a wilderness season in Antioch Fort Worth. And you're here from a great man who knows what it feels like to be in a wilderness season. Have you ever questioned God's faithfulness? That's where we meet Peter. So this morning, I want us to witness how Jesus shapes Peter into a signpost. And then on a crucial Sunday morning, Peter points the city of Jerusalem to Jesus. So um, in, in summary, what I'm saying is Jesus shapes his disciples to be a signpost people by incarnating and revealing his love to us and restores us to point to himself and to his community. So we're going to read at, uh, John 21. So please stand for the reading of the word. We're going to read the whole story here. Now, if I start making voices for characters, just appease me. Um, another thing about me is I do theater. My wife has discipled me into that. Um, so it might come out. We'll see. Um, John 21, starting in verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. He revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called twin, Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee, Zebedee's sons, and two others of his disciples were together. I'm going fishing. 
Simon Peter said to them. We're coming with you, they told him. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Then daybreak came. Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Friends, Jesus called to them. You don't have any fish, do you? No, they answered. Cast the net on the right side of the boat, he told them, and you'll find some. So this joker who's standing on the beach thinks they're a better fisherman than me. But okay, so, so they did, and they were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. The disciple, the one Jesus loved, said, that has to be the Lord. When Simon Peter heard this, it was when Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he tied his outer clothing around him for he had taken it off and plunged into the sea. Since they were not far away from land, about 100 yards away, and the other disciples came in the boat dragging the net full of fish. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish lying on it and bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus told them. So Simon Peter climbed up and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. Even though, there were, even though there were so many, the net was not torn. Come and have breakfast, Jesus told him. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. This is now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now Jesus pulls Peter aside. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told him. A second time he asked them, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to them, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told them. He asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he had asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Truly I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted, but when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. After saying this, he told them, follow me. This is the reading of the Lord. Wow, what a passage, right? What a story. Well, first thing I, I want to point out that I see in this is the incarnation. Someone say the incarnation. The incarnation. Jesus is helping Peter become a better fisherman. Incarnation means into flesh. It's from Latin, and the definition of a word isn't really that hard to understand. But the more interesting thing is why? Why incarnation? Have you ever thought that before? Why did God choose to become man? Why did God choose? to become a Jewish man in the first century. And I think the significance is Yahweh, those are Yahweh's people that he was trying to reach. The incarnation is not random. The incarnation is fueled with love that God has for his people. Is that he chose specifically to reveal himself in this way to take on their 
flesh. It's, it's more comprehensive than just gender or culture. J.I. Packer says this on the incarnation, the Almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby needing to be fed and changed and taught to talk, talk like any other child. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as this truth of the incarnation. So what this means is that Jesus didn't just take on flesh. He went through the same experiences of man from birth to death. God became like us. God became like us to reach us. That's the love that God has. That's the love that is fueling this story is that he wants to reach Peter. And the incarnation includes language. And what language does fishermen speak? Fish, fish. Jesus spoke the disciples' language. It's so amazing to me that the God of the universe didn't require people to speak his language. But he humbled himself to speak our language, the disciples' language. This is a humbling experience. That's what incarnational ministry is all about. It's about being with people where they are at. It's not just about being in the same space with somebody. Whenever I'm sitting on the couch with Lauren and I'm consumed by Facebook and Instagram, I am not being in the same space with Lauren. Yeah, I'm physically standing right next to her, husbands. We're we're, uh, specifically sitting right next to our wives, but we might not be incarnating ourselves to them. So when Jesus talks to us, he speaks our language and he speaks to our hearts. So he's spoken to Peter about the fish. Now, when Jesus was speaking the language of the fishermen, they really were, they were able to understand on who the man is. So then that moves to the next thing is revelation. They, reveal, they, they know who Jesus is now. And guess what happens whenever they found out who Jesus was? They left their stuff to go to Jesus. Peter jumps out of the boat. That's not a good fisherman thing to do, bro. You just received 153 fish, and instead of collecting your things, you, he jumped out and ran towards this guy, random guy, on the beach. And so the thing is, is that he's running to the Savior. He's not running to the thing the Savior produces. And that is what a true revelation of God does to us, is that we don't run to the miracle, but we run to the person who produces the miracle. And miracles are very important. Let me tell you something. Uh, I wear glasses, which means I can't see a lot of people right now. Um, And miracles are a lot like glasses. When you receive a miracle and you put the glasses on, you should be able to see Jesus more. If I started worshiping these glasses, y'all would be like, he's tripping. (laughs) But a lot of times, the temptation is to worship the miracle instead of worshiping the person we're supposed to see through the miracle, which is Jesus. I've had that temptation to try to worship the glasses, but we're not called to worship the glasses. We're called to worship the person who gave me the glasses. So he sees, <laughs> he sees Jesus. Jesus invites him to a meal and break bread with him. And Jesus pulls him aside. And he, <laughs> Jesus hasn't forgotten that night 
um, where Peter denied him. And that moves to restoration. That moves to restoration. Um, restoration is, the, this is the climax of the story. Do you love me? And I've grown up in church. Who else grew up in church? Let me see who's my friends in the room. If you didn't grow up in church too, you're my friend too. Um, but y'all have heard this before, right? Phileo versus agape. What's phileo? Friendship, brotherly love. What's agape? Unconditional God type of love. Now here's the deal. There is, a, there is a lot of beauty in those two words, phileo, agape. You need both to live the healthy, mature Christian life. You do. Now, this passage is not about phileo and agape. This passage is describing that, G, that Peter denied Christ three times and, and Jesus gave him three opportunities to say that he loves him. He offers full restoration for Peter. He was given Peter an opportunity to not be known as the God denier, but the Jesus lover in this passage. And John, John was doing my boy Peter a good thing. He was the only person that put it in his gospel that, that, that Peter was supposed to be restored. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, I don't know what they had against Peter, but they didn't put it in there that he was to be restored. And that's something that is beautiful about what Jesus does for us. He restores us when we come to him. When we see him, he restores us. And one thing about restoration that you need to un also understand, uh, there's another word with I-O-N that ends. Um, conviction comes with restoration. Those things go together. You don't really know uh, what you're being restored to if you don't really have that conviction, you know. Um, but those two things work hand in hand, conviction and restoration. So don't be afraid of the conviction that the Lord brings. He might be giving you an opportunity to be restored right here, right now. So Jesus has restored Peter, but to what? This is where we really see what Jesus calls his disciple to do, and that is community. Feed and follow. This is a crucial ingredient to Jesus' recipe of love. Jesus doesn't just tie Peter's restoration to his relationship with himself. Jesus is tying Peter's love for him to Peter's call to love others. That's something super radical. Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes. Jesus don't stop talking. He says, feed my sheep. It's all in the same sentence. Receive love from me, give love out to other people. It's always been that way. It's not like this Antioch thing that we just say all the time. Um, it's always been that way to receive God's love and give God's love out. We are called to feed and be fed. Mm. You, can't, you can't, if you follow without feeding, or if you follow without feeding, yeah, you'll, you'll isolate. You'll isolate. There's, there's people that are watching me right now online and I love those people who are watching me online. Thank you for tuning in on Memorial Day weekend. Um, but if that is your whole grid of church, your whole grid of walking with Jesus as being with you and the Lord, you are missing a special component to your Christian life. It's like a sponge that gets filled up with water and never gets squeezed out. You're not really, you're not really functioning as a sponge at that point. 
And then if you try to feed without follow, uh, I'm talking to the pastors and the ministry leaders and the life group leaders up here in the room, um, you will burn out. We will burn out. If you try to feed without following, because if you try to squeeze out something that's not up in there, you're not going to be able to get things out. It's going to be dry. And cr- Have you ever seen a dry, crusty sponge? <laughs> Y'all, that's nasty. <laughs> Especially when there's like some food up in it. It's just real gross. Like you just wash a lasagna pan and it's just, I'm sorry, that's not even in the notes. I don't even know why I'm saying that. Um, But feeding and follow. So Jesus is leaving Peter with these words and this is the first half of this because we're going to go through Pentecost in a second. So you have all this relationship with Jesus and Peter and Jesus ascends into heaven and I can see Peter right now. He's a signpost but he's broken. And good thing God uses broken vessels for his glory. And so Peter is going to act out what Jesus just did for him in Acts 2. Let's go to Acts 2. First thing about Acts 2 I want us to to think about and realize is we should embody the love of Jesus by incarnating our lives to our spheres. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like of a violent rushing wind came from heaven and it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Watch this, church. Now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. When this sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one of them heard speaking, them speaking in his own language. Let me say that one more time. Each one of them heard them speaking in his own language. They were astounded and amazed, saying, look, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us can hear them in our own native language? And then he goes on to list 16 different nations there. And they were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? If this is not incarnational ministry, I don't know what it is. There is 16 different languages being spoken at Pentecost. Have you, if you've grown up like me in Pentecostal church and you love Pentecost and you love uh, the the spiritual gifts, William J. Seymour is one of my favorite people on all in the planet. Um, It's not on the planet anymore, in history, I'll say. Um, There were 16 languages being spoken on the day of Pentecost. This wasn't just a charismatic event. It was an incarnational ministry. It's that the first church that was born had 16 different unreached people groups in it. 16 unreached people groups. The day of Pentecost produced. And the nations learned... (laughs) Instead of making the nations learn the language of disciples, the Holy Spirit gave the disciples the ability to speak the language of the nations. And also, there is a homogeneous group of people reaching a multi-ethnic world. They were all the same. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit happened, and then they reached 16 different people groups that blew up into this massive megachurch in Jerusalem. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing. And remember, 
what I said earlier about Jesus humbling himself to incarnate. So this is, this is for us, for those of us who feel that maybe speaking somebody else's language is beneath me. Well, you're being just like Jesus if you feel like it's beneath you. And it's something that we're not being like Jesus if we don't humble ourselves to reach the people who are around us. So my question is, what is the language of the people around you? And are you speaking their language? What's the language of the people around you and are you speaking their language? The language of the people around me is youth. So no cap, I, didn't, I need to know what to say. For real, for real. The disciples needed this outpouring of the Spirit, and so do we. Second thing, we should show the love of Jesus by revealing him to our communities. Uh, it says here in verse 32, God has raised this Jesus. This is Peter speaking. God has raised this Jesus for we're all witnesses of this. Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you both see and hear. For it was not David who had sent into heaven, but he himself says, the Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Peter doesn't just speak other people's languages. He uses the incarnational ministry to reveal Jesus. It's not just about getting into other people's space. It's about having revelation of Jesus. I'm a chef. You, what is the most crucial component to salsa? Who? Tomato. Tomato, right? Now listen. Let me tell y'all something. Salsa ain't never getting made without tomato. Ain't never. If you try to give me to salsa that's not made with tomatoes, I'm going to be like, that ain't salsa. That ain't salsa. You can, have, you, can, uh, you can have some missing jalapenos, which I love in there. You can have some missing onions, which is also really good in there. You cannot add your cilantro because it tastes weird to you. Um, but if you don't have tomatoes, it ain't no salsa. So if you are doing incarnational ministry and wanting to reach people, but you don't have Jesus in it, that's the revelation that you need to give to people is Jesus. It's crucial. It's like baking a cake without no sugar in it. It ain't cake. It ain't cake. So what is one way that we can reveal Jesus to ourselves, to Jesus to one person this week? The disciples needed the outpouring of the Spirit to do this, and so do we. The third thing, we should carry out the love of Jesus by participating in the restoration of people. Verse 37, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? Now, Peter had a choice here. Billy Graham does not exist at this point. 
You're like, why would I say something like that? Because this is not the evangelical uh, culture of the day. Peter probably sat down right in front of somebody and said, hey, man, the guy you you, uh, (laughs) crucified was the Messiah. So um, he's living. So I know him. But yeah, okay. And so maybe, and maybe he's about to walk off. And they're like, whoa, 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 wait, what, whoa, whoa, what's going on? And they, say, bro, and they say, brothers, what should we do? And Peter has a choice right now to either condemn somebody or restore somebody. This story could have completely changed if Peter would have been like, y'all the ones that crucified him. I'm out. I know him now. But instead, he said, repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children. All for her are far off, as many as the Lord your God will call. This Jewish first century man has been restored and seen the grace of Jesus, that he is walking out that same pattern right here, right now in Jerusalem with 16 different unreached people groups. And that's amazing to me because he's opening himself up to following and feeding, like we talked about earlier. And feeding is messy sometimes. Feeding is messy. I I get so tired of cleaning gum off of people's plates sometimes whenever I'm working. There's a napkin there, just use the napkin. And are we willing to step into messy situations to restore people? Are we trying to be, are we trying to stay clean? <coughs> are we trying to stay clean or are we trying to smell like sheep? Which one, I mean, which one are we trying to do? Because it's going to be, it's going to be one of the two. Shepherds don't really get to decide. They're going to smell like sheep. And sheep don't smell good. And we don't smell good. You know, we don't smell good. And do we care about the restoration of people, even our enemies? The disciples needed the outpouring of the Spirit to do this, and so do we. We should accept the love, this is the fourth thing, we should accept the love of Jesus that he shows in the community of believers. Now, this is the, the, the um, Antioch banner verse. I should ask somebody to stand up and quote it, but I'm not going to do that. Acts 2, 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. So community. Feed and follow. Assume that there are people around you. And so When Jesus was asking Peter to feed and follow, he was asking him to be a part of community. And so on the day of Pentecost, the church started, like legitimately started. 
um, the life of God was being manifested inside the community. Jesus's embodied presence is in the church. That is how life is distributed to the whole world is through the church. I know it sounds like I'm saying that all the time. It sounds like I'm just saying that the same thing over and over and over again. But it is the temptation that we have that that's not true. The temptation is that life is not inside the church. And there's so many other things that want to talk to us and they try to give us life. But those are all counterfeit life givers. And life happens within the church. Now, one thing I do want to say is that you cannot discount showing the love of Jesus to a generation. You cannot discount it. I don't know if Peter knew that after Pentecost, 2,000 years later, there would be churches all over the world worshiping Jesus. But the fact that you didn't discount his small moment in history. His, his, this man's sermon is like five minutes long. He preached for five minutes. And now there's a 2,000 year history of people worshiping Jesus and impacting the whole world. Do not despise the small thing that God calls you to. Okay, sure. Uh, God's calling you to go reach out to a coworker. That might seem real small to you. Don't discount that. That person might get saved three, four years later down the road and their whole family gets saved because of it. And you wouldn't know until you meet, you meet him in glory and then you're like, wow, I obeyed. That's something that literally happened. I'm trying to, trying to shape Pentecost so that we all can understand that it is, it's more than just this day. It's our whole lives. Amen. Pentecost power is something that we live in. It's not just something we experience in this moment. And so how that affects me and my story is that Jesus has had to meet me in my spaces to reach me. Whenever I'm, I'm upset and I'm angry and I don't know what to do and I'm driving real fast on the highway, I don't know why guys do that, um, he's met me there. And the way that God reveals himself to me might not be the same exact way that he reveals himself to you because to Peter, he needed to speak fish to be, for them to be able to see. But to me, he needed to speak church. He needed to speak church to me because I didn't know what church was going to look like or be, but he needed to speak that language to me. He needed to put me inside of a community that would love me. Me and, me and Lauren's um, first life group leaders, I, I don't think they would mind me saying this, was Alex and Hunter Ritter. Them meeting us for dinner helped us hear from God. And, reveal, and he was able to be 
revealed to the broken hearts that we had regarding the church. And that restoration piece, I've needed that restoration piece. I needed that conviction piece, and I've needed that restoration piece. I needed to be restored on what ministry was and what ministry wasn't. Ministry is not about standing up on this stage. Y'all see me once a year up here. If I thought I only did ministry once a year, I'm foolish. Absolutely foolish. Ministry is every single day of my life. When I serve a table to somebody, I'm doing ministry. Because if I'm out here serving tables with an Antioch Fort Worth t-shirt on and they get an angry person who's serving them food, I've done some ministry. Maybe in the opposite way, but I've done some ministry. So if I think the only time I'm doing ministry is when I'm standing up here in front of you, I need to be restored of what that looked like. Hey, community, y'all. I need y'all. I need y'all. I really do. I'm, I'm standing up here saying I need y'all. Okay? Turn to your neighbor and say, I need you. Now say it like you mean it to your other neighbor. Say, I need you. Yeah, y'all were like, huh? I don't know, man. I was with that preacher until he said I needed somebody. But maybe that speaks to the place in our heart that we don't feel like we can say that. And that is where I was at, and I'm still working through that. It's saying that I need people. I need people. I need that annoying person. I'm not calling anybody on staff annoying, by the way. But... Again, the foot shape, oh, foot shape now, uh, for sure. Something I'm still dealing with. Something I'm still dealing with. All right, I'm going to end with this quote. Y'all stand up for ministry time. William J. Seymour was the African-American man, and ministry team, y'all go ahead and come up, was the African-American man that was preaching when the Azusa Street Revival broke out. A black man reached a multi-ethnic world by receiving the Holy Spirit and just let the Holy Spirit fly, essentially. Now they asked William J. Seymour at the end of his life, what is one thing that you would say about Pentecost? And he says this, the Pentecostal power when you sum it all up, it's just more of God's love. If it does not bring more love, it is simply a counterfeit. Now, how do you become the signpost like Peter? Because the thing is, we can all go through hard things. We can all go through tough situations. We can all go through unmet expectations. But if it doesn't point to Jesus, what's the point? And what he needed to do was have an interaction with Jesus. And what people in Acts 2 needed 
was the Holy Spirit coming and being poured out on them. Now we are in the heritage of Acts 2. That's where we stand in church history. So I'm, I'm going to pray with faith real quick that the outpouring of the Spirit happens on each and every one of us. Yeah? Each and every one of us watching, each and every one of us here in the room, I'm praying that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit happens. And all of these people that are standing up here, they know how to pray for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to happen as well. So if you're like, Lord, I need to do something with my body, with my, with my feet to just know that I'm making a step to say yes to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, come on up. And also, this water is warm. I touched it on my way up here. Do not leave here and you feel God's call to be baptized Come be baptized. I'll, ba I'll take this Calvin Klein jacket off and I will baptize you. The water is warm. So Lord, we want to pray for each and every one of my brothers and sisters here in this room that you pour out your spirit on them. Lord, I pray that they hear you clearly. I pray that they know that it's you. I pray that their hearts become restored. I pray that they, they are dissatisfied with being unconnected with the body. Lord, I pray for speaking of new tongues to happen here in this room. I pray for healings to happen here in this room. I pray for new perspectives to happen here in this room. The Lord said to me that I needed to say this whenever I came up here, get your hopes up. The Lord is saying, get your hopes up today. You didn't bring it to Jesus because you didn't have any hope. But today is the day to get your hopes up. Today is the day to get your hopes up because he is going to fulfill every single hope that you have in your heart it might not happen in 24 hours but take the testimony of the man standing up here it will happen your hope will be fulfilled and your hope has been fulfilled in Jesus so, Lord, pour out your spirit. We are here expected and listening to you. Thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.